Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg and Devin Jackson from BlueChipsGuy.com. We are your hosts for today's episode of the podcast. Devin, how's it going, bro? Pretty good. I was telling you uh, before we got started, I uh, was up super early this morning uh, to, to get a workout in. Uh, it was leg day on a Monday, so you already know how that went. Um, but other than that, man, doing pretty good. Um, you know, got Saints Jaguars tonight. Excited to get paid to watch that game because uh, I'll, I'll be helping cover that. So I'm excited about that. And then we got college football later this week, man. So, so it's starting to ramp up, and we're finally able to start talking about games, man. Mm-hmm. We starting this weekend. We'll have at least an NFL and college football game being played over. Each weekend, all the way up until at least February, with the Super Bowl. So it's a, it's an exciting time for football fans, such as the both of us, um, and it's an exciting time for a lot of college football fans, a lot of NFL fans, um, college students at different universities with football teams. Sadly, uh, UNC Asheville does not have a football team, and that disappoints me a lot, but it is what it is. I'm still a Clemson Tigers fan. That won't change. Um, oh, and speaking of being a Clemson Tigers fan, I want to make an announcement about the Clemson Tigers. I'm not writing for them yet. That would be really awesome to do, but I will be at every home game this season for at each Clemson Tigers home game. Um, I got season tickets over the summer um, from a very close family friend um, as a late birthday gift. So I am very excited to see got uh, draft prospects such as Justin Ross, uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon Galloway, Andrew Booth, uh, Tyler Davis. I mean, there are so many players I'm so excited to watch in person. I'm also really excited to see what this Tigers team looks like without Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. It's basically a whole, it's a new looking team, new look team. Um, but of course you still got DJ Uyongale starting and in the two games he played for Trevor Lawrence after he got COVID, DJ's pretty good. I, I would say he's pretty good. He threw 400 yards and both games he played, I mean, he he was racking up numbers when he was on the field. It didn't look like they were really limiting limiting the playbook for DJ. He he took everything really well. Um, he's had a really really good summer. He's had a really good fall camp. I'm really excited to see him against Georgia and that defense. I want to see how he does against that type of pass rush because against Notre Dame, he still faced a faced a pretty good defense. But Georgia arguably has one of the better defenses in college football, probably a top five defense in college football. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does. And I won't be at that game, sadly, even though though I really wish that season tickets included the Georgia-Clemson game. You know, the tickets for that game are probably in the the mid-hundreds, you know, probably – most tickets probably uh, six hundred dollars just for nosebleeds, standing one. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty was a top ten matchup. Yeah, start the season matchup number three Clemson versus number five Georgia. 
So it's yeah. going to be about seven, eight hundred dollars at least. It takes football game week one. One of those teams will end up being in the college football playoff. One of them. It right now, I don't. It may have big playoff stakes potentially week one, but if Georgia isn't able to capitalize on beating Florida and other teams in the SEC, uh, in the SEC East, right? Or is it the West? Georgia's in the East. Okay. It might yeah. change in a couple of years once right. Texas and Oklahoma joins. Yeah. But right now they're in the East. Uh, yeah, they have to beat Florida in the East. And honestly, I think I like Florida better than Georgia, but I, we'll, we'll talk about that on a later podcast, on a later live stream. But that's another discussion for another time. That's probably something I'll write in my football thoughts article. I'll talk about that maybe next week. Once week one rolls around for the college football season, um, probably by then I'll have like my playoff, my prediction for the final four teams in the college football playoff. I really wish it was the final 12 teams in the college football playoff because I really wish they could have expanded it this year. You know, like that would make things so much more fun in college football this year. I had, it is what it is. I'm fine waiting until my senior year in high school or not high school um, in college to see this unfold, but it is what it is. All right. Got some stuff to talk about and some stuff to discuss. Um, today, I, I this morning, I wanted to – I texted Devin earlier this morning, uh, Monday morning, saying, hey, you know, I kind of want to talk about some of the quarterback battles um, going on today and, like, who we think will be starting week one and then who we be – or who would be starting in week one, who would be starting once the season wraps up. So four, five teams I chose or that really have, like, true competition at the quarterback position. Denver, San Francisco, Chicago, New Orleans, New England. So I want to start off with Denver, Devin. Um, I'll go ahead and, or, well, you go ahead and tell me, like, who do you think starts week one? And then by the end of the season, who do you think is starting last game of the season? Or who will be starting by then? Yeah, so I think I'll start with Denver um, because I feel like that's probably going to be one of the least controversial ones, um, I think. I think Drew Locke starts and ends the season. Uh, I think there's going to be a couple times, especially if they struggle this year, that Teddy Bridgewater steps in, like second half, third, fourth quarter, if they're just not doing anything offensively. Uh, but I, I don't see a scenario where Bridgewater would end the season starting because uh, it really doesn't make too much sense unless they're like in playoff contention and Drew Locke is just god awful. Um, you know, we know what we're going to get from Teddy Bridgewater. We're still trying to figure out what we're getting from Drew Locke. So I think he starts and ends the season. I think there's going to be maybe a couple games where he gets replaced if he's just absolutely ter- terrible and the offense isn't doing anything. But it's going to be really difficult, I think, for them him not to get some sort of success every game uh, because of how well-rounded their weapons are. Javante Williams looks like a, a real stud for them in the backfield. Got Judy, Cortland Sutton. Got the tight ends, obviously, with Noah Font. KJ Hamler as well is, is really sparking this preseason. So 
I think for the Broncos, uh, I think Drew Locke is, is going to start in the season uh, as a starting quarterback. This, I think there's going to be a few times where he gets replaced, but generally speaking, I think he, he starts in the season as the Broncos quarterback. I'm with you there, but I I think just for me, there will be, a, I think, ultimately, week one, I think they start Bridgewater. I think they go with the experience of Bridgewater, uh, and he, he I'll, I'll admit, Bridgewater looked pretty nice against Seattle this weekend. Like, he, he was, he made some good throws. I was like, where was this in Carolina? What were you doing? I, I don't. I don't want to make any assumptions about the Carolina Panthers coaching staff. I don't want to get there yet. But, I mean, that that's – if Bridgewater was doing that and, yeah, he wasn't doing that this past season, I'm like, uh, what what are we doing? But I think Bridgewater starts out week one. I think there will be a point in the season, though, where Bridgewater's limitations as a passer really start to come up and Locke comes in maybe after the first four or five weeks of the season and ends up taking over the starting job and ends up playing well. I think Locke, Locke, you can tell Locke is still learning and growing as a player. He hasn't had a lot of experience um, starting games. He's only played 17 total games or has started 17 total games. He's, Barely started the entire season of an NFL game or of an NFL season because of either not starting until later in the season or injuries or he was just flat out bad. It's just there. You can tell Locke has there's been some improvement from Locke this off season. You you saw it a little bit against Minnesota, um, but I think. You, you're you're going to have to be at a point where if Bridgewater isn't really doing well, if you start him week one, you you got to put him lock to see what he can do. It ultimately this could end up being just a big hot mess. Denver ends up making missing the playoffs with a damn good football roster, um, and then they're back in the quarterback conversation next off season. You know, could they go after Aaron Rodgers via trade or? You know, there were rumors Russell Russell Wilson was on the block. You know, could they go after him, give up everything and go after him and try and see, go after him or Rodgers and try and say, hey, we're going to go and try and win our fifth Super Bowl. We're going to try to do that. Or they weigh in the draft, see what happens, get a quarterback then. But they miss a quarterback next year. I mean, it's inexcusable for George Patton. Inexcusable. So I want to move on to San Francisco. Um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo ultimately starts week one. I know, and here's the thing. I think Trey Lance should start week one because he is more talented and he opens up the offense so much more than Jimmy Garoppolo does. But I think Kyle Shanahan is dug into the fact that Jimmy G was hurt last year. They, he, you can argue whether or not Jimmy G actually led San Francisco to the playoffs. I think it was mostly their defense and a combination of good games from Jimmy G and a good game from the run game, all that. Um, 
I think he, I think Kyle Shanahan will go with the experience of Jimmy G week one, but it won't take long for Trey Lance to start. And once Trey Lance starts, I think San Francisco is just going to start rolling. They're going to be firing on all cylinders offensively, possibly defensively, because you have that energy from Lance and like he just, he makes a difference on the field. You could tell, um, last, like, that, it was last night. It was last right? night. Yep. Last yep. night. Last night. The weekend before. You know, it's. I think it's totally okay to go through the growing pains with Trey Lance. The up, the positive things you'll get from Lance will completely overshadow the bad moments. Lance is going to have growing pains no matter what. Once he starts, it's going to happen. He may have ten, ten to twelve interceptions this season. That's completely okay for a rookie who is incredibly talented but still a little raw with his mechanics and all that. I think if you just put Lance out there into the fire, he's going to do fine because of his physical talent. He's so physically talented. It wouldn't surprise me if Jimmy G starts week one, and then if Jimmy G really does struggle week one, they're going to put in Trey in week two. Um San Francisco, I'm gonna make this is my boldest um, take for this, for this upcoming season. San Francisco um, is my second is my second team or my second favorite team in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. With Trey Lance starting, Jimmy G is starting. I don't know, but San Francisco has a better chance of winning football games with Trey Lance at quarterback. But they'll start Jimmy G week one, just based off experience and all that. Yeah, to me, Jimmy G is going to start week one. I think at this point, you know, the 49ers are pretty much comfortable with having him out in the first couple weeks and and whatnot. Because ultimately, I mean, Lance is still pretty inexperienced in the football world. I mean, he only played one full season at North Dakota State, played one game, obviously, in 2020 season, kind of just a showcase pretty much. Um, But like you said, he brings a completely different element to the 49ers offense. You know, he's able to make plays outside of structure, you know, and just the throws he can make effortlessly. He was struggling last night up until the two-minute drive he had right before halftime. Uh, you know, I think it was like one for six, six yards. And then he started rolling and he completed like seven of his, no, it was six of his, I think it was seven of his last eight passes, uh, yeah. to end the game because he ended up eight of 14. He, um, he went off after really struggling. I mean, San, San Francisco went from having just not being able to throw the ball at all to Lance hitting like flipping a switch and just going berserk. Like that's why that's why people want Lance to start is because like as as soon as Lance is like clicking on all cylinders, that offense is just rolling and just does not seem possible to stop that offense. Like Yeah, it, it seems it seems like he's kind of like a three point shooter in the NBA. Like once he sees one like completed or he makes that one tight window throw, then all of a sudden his confidence is kind of back up to, to where you would like to see. 
because uh, you know he he tried several times in that those first couple drives to to make tight window window throws and um, you know try to get it on the line. Either it was a, a little a, a tad too late or it was bouncing off receivers' hands. And then once he started completing them, getting rhythm, then he looked like a completely different player. So he's definitely, in my opinion, he's definitely going to start by the end of the season. I think his talent is just going to be too much to on the bench um, because, you know, Garoppolo can only do so much. You know, we've seen the same play, like the, the touchdown throw we had in the first preseason game. That yeah. same throw that Jimmy Garoppolo made, it was about 20 yards shorter. You know, and it wasn't as on of a, on of a line as it was with Lance. So the arm talent is is superior with Lance. The mobility is superior, and and ultimately they're going to have to start him because uh, Garoppolo can only do what the play says to do. He can't create once they take away the first or second option. It just is what it is. Yeah. You know, it it just simply call it as it is. So. Lance is going to start by the end of the season, but ultimately, Garoppolo starts with one. I want to I want to move on to Chicago now. Who do you think starts Week One? Who do you think ends the season as the starter? Well, unfortunately, we already know starting Week One, uh, which is Andy Dalton, and you know what? I, I'm not super upset about it because that offensive line is pretty bad. You know, it it just it's just not good, and Justin Fields is going to be running from his for his life every single play. You know, they play the Rams week one. I'm not trying to watch him run away from Aaron Donald the entire game because that's exactly what's going to happen. You know, I, he's going to play in that game because the Bears they're just not. From what I saw from the first couple of preseason games, I, they're not going to be a good team. You know, the the defense. <laughs> I was surprised. Like, they gave up, you know, and, and I, I will say, I'll take a grant with a grand assault because most defenses aren't giving away all of their looks. You know, they're playing pretty base defense. So I, I will give them credit and say, you know, they're they're playing a pretty generic base defense. But it's not encouraging to watch the Bills go up and down on their defense, their first team defense, in fact. You know, Jalen Johnson was a lone bright spot defensively, uh, but just how – kind of poorly they built that offensive line, you know, when then Tevin Jenkins had back surgery. So they they don't have a lot of upside right now on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they got playmakers on the outside, but, I mean, you're not going to have time to throw, you know. And, and for me, I want to see this team start to kind of tank and then finally let Fields get in place. And Fields has to learn to protect himself, too. I think he's – Still at a point where he thinks, you know, he's superior. I mean, he is superior athletically, but he has to protect himself because he's already got dinged up, groin injury. And then, of course, he got that blindside hit in the last preseason game as well. So I think he's he's going to have to learn to protect himself before he can get be out there and, and play every down. But he's definitely going to be starting by the end of the season because the Bears are not going to be good. I don't think they're going to be a good football team. I I concur. Um, Andy Dalton, I think, will start week one. Um, I mean, Matt Nagy's already said it, even though I think all of us believe Justin Fields gives the team a better chance to win on Sundays. 
Um, Donald will start week one, but once the Bears really start to struggle the first few weeks of the season and also having to play the Rams week one, I mean, like, Fields, Fields will end up starting at some, will be starting sooner than later. Um, with Dalton starting week one, I mean, it'll be inevitable. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Fields has that type of level of impact that um, you can win games because of him. I think Fields has that type of level of impact. Even as a rookie, I think it will have that type of impact because despite how bad Chicago will probably be this year, Fields will probably help them win more games than they probably should have with Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton probably won't win a lot of football games with the Bears with this current Bears team, and yeah, I mean it's kind of yeah, it's kind of unfortunate for Andy Dalton because the the the, or, the Bears organization has just mismanaged. Really, I mean, over the last couple of years, they've just mismanaged the roster, mismanaged coaching wise, and he's really not in a position to succeed right now. I mean, whether or not Fields is ready in their eyes to start. Uh, that offensive line is going to cost him a lot of games because Dalton is at a point at a point in his career where he's not going to be mobile enough to get away from pressure. It's just not going to happen, you know. So it's going to be rough for Chicago, and I feel for for their fans. You know, they're they're going to have exciting plays with with Fields, and you know, ultimately he's going he's going to do some amazing things. But right now, uh, they're not set up to to win many games this year. Um, we're going to move to your favorite football team, the Saints, the team you're covering now officially. Um, so is it? So it's Jameis Winston. We're just going to move on, okay? <laughs> but sadly, it will probably be Taysom Hill. But honestly, like some of the reports saying that Hill will end up being the starter week one, I, I'm just not. I'm not riding with those rumors. I think Winston has he is a true he, he is super talented. We all know this. Winston is very very talented. It's just the turnovers have hurt him so much in his career so far. I'm hoping that New Orleans can give him a second chance to prove that he can be a really good quarterback in this league because I believe he still can. With New Orleans, with Sean Payton, um, with that type of style of offense, um, and sitting behind Breeze probably helped him out a good bit. I think Winston starts week one, and he's going to start the entire season. I don't think Jason Hill will be starting at quarterback unless Winston, um, unless Winston isn't vaccinated and has to go into COVID protocols a couple of times or something like that. I don't know. Um, but I, I believe James Winston will be starter for the rest of the season. I think Winston gives this team a better chance to win with him at quarterback than Taysom Hill does. Because Taysom Hill is, I, we're we're not going to discuss that. <laughs> yeah. So here's my you thing. Ain't uh, so Peter King released a, a article, um, I think yesterday, and he said that. Saints are looking to name a uh, official starting quarterback uh, before the Cardinals game this weekend. 
So my thinking is, if it's taken this long to announce a starter, um, I think it will favor James Winston because if Taysom Hill separated himself and he was going to be the starter, I think it would be announced by now, you know? Yeah. And he's had multiple years in the offense, you know, several training camps to kind of learn a position, play a position. Obviously, they move him around a lot, but he still takes quarterback reps. And for me, I, I just think that at this point, you know, unless Jameis Winston, like, comes out tonight and just completely looks awful, I just don't see a scenario where Taysom Hill is going to be the star of week one. Uh, because ultimately, we know that Winston has a turnover issue and he will, you know, force the ball down the field sometimes. But you got to take that rather than someone that's generally not accurate at all parts of the field. Like Winston can make all the throws down the field. You know, his mechanics are fine. You know, he's able to read defenses. He's, he's got the experience. With Hill, it, it's just like pushing the ball down the field is just float. It just floats, you know, and, and when he has pressure, he just doesn't operate it well. He's, he's not able to step, step up in the pocket. You know, he's throwing off his back foot. There's too many things, I think, fundamentally and in, in kind of uh, in – you know, kind of his footwork and whatnot, just that's just not there for them. And, you know, I, I think he's still going to be a valuable piece in the offense and they're probably still going to have packages mm-hmm. for him. And But he's at best when he's running with the ball. You know, he's just not the, the quarterback you want throwing 30, 40 times a game, you know. I, and I just think with this kind of delay, you know, if, if they were going to name him the starter, I think they would have done it already. Now, you know, it's still a possibility he could be still named the starter. Like I said, you know, if Winston bombs this, because, I mean, he's been pretty much neck and neck. You know, if one struggles, the other struggles. If the one practices well, the other practices well. So it's pretty neck and neck. But when you when you look at the body of work and, uh, you know, tonight will be another kind of test to that, you know, letting Winston get the first team reps and see how he operates against the, uh, I, think, I think the Jaguars may be rolling out their starting defense potentially. You know, I think that's going to be a real good test and see if he can handle it. And if he can, you know, I, I think that, that pretty much solidifies him as a, as a starting quarterback for the Saints. Um, where can I find uh, New Orleans Jaguars tonight? Is it on ESPN? I really hope it yes. is. Awesome. Great deal. Man. I was worried for a second I would be having to go on some Reddit stream and find this game, I was like, uh, I don't want to go through that. But I'm glad it's on Monday Night Football because I'm looking forward to seeing Jameis Winston and Trevor Lawrence um, this evening as well as Travis Etienne. I'm looking forward to seeing more than just a few series from Trevor Lawrence. I'm looking forward to seeing maybe um, a good first quarter or even second or even first half from Trevor Lawrence. That's what I'm looking forward to tonight. Um, so last, last team we're going to move on to that involves a quarterback battle is the New England Patriots. And I think, and the both of us really had, um, some thoughts about this, um, quarterback battle, um, on the live stream back on Friday night. Um, 
this was before Cam Newton um, went into COVID protocols um, today. Um, Cam Newton had a some sort of doctor's appointment, I think, um, away from an NFL facility that is causing him to not be able to practice for the next five days starting today. Um, he will be or starting, I think, Sunday or Saturday or Sunday. Um, so that means he won't be practicing until Thursday. This gives Mac Jones an opportunity to prove himself with the first-team offense, say, hey, if I am needed, I can come in and take over this offense like no, like it's no problem. The concern now lies with Cam Newton and being vaccinated. And now, and this is a good time to really just tell people, hey, if you're not vaccinated, go get vaccinated. I think that's, I think the time is now. The time was yesterday, the day before, last week, last month, two months ago, three months ago. Go get vaccinated. The FDA just approved the Pfizer vaccine. Go get it. And I'm also telling Cam Newton this now. Go get vaccinated. Cam Newton not being vaccinated has now opened up a spotlight of, you know, if Newton is not vaccinated and he chooses not to get vaccinated moving forward, even with the FDA approving um, the Pfizer vaccine, this puts New England in a very tough spot. This puts Bill Belichick in a tough spot about naming a starter. Noon has had a good preseason in terms of really improving his lower body mechanics. And this is coming from a Newton fan for the last 10 years. Newton has always had inconsistent lower body mechanics. He has improved that. And we saw that against Philadelphia, even though it was against the second team defense. Newton, I, I still think Newton starts week one. But you got to have... There, you got to be vaccinated. You have to. Go get vaccinated, bro. Because you not being vaccinated affects the team and also affects your future as well as a starter. Because if you miss a game because of miss a couple games because of COVID protocols and Jones ends up playing really well in both those games and because he had that bad season last year, are you going to be able to come back as a starter? That that's something that Newton really has to come. Newton really has to think about is the pros and cons of not being vaccinated. There are a lot more cons than there are pros. There's probably maybe one pro. I doubt it. All of it's probably cons. The fact is that. Right now, I think Newton will start week one. I think they'll start the veteran over the rookie. And if Newton is able to keep himself clean, be able to really, like, really kind of quarantine quarantine himself in a way where he's not really interacting with a lot of people except when he's on the field, he, he will be starting the rest of the year unless – COVID protocols happen again with him, and also bad play happens for a stretch of games. Then Mac Jones ends up coming in. Um, 
But this is a development that we're going to have to keep an eye on, especially over these next few days. How will Mac Jones look with the first-team offense? How has he looked with the first-team offense today? I really haven't looked on Twitter about it because I have both muted Cam Newton's name and Mac Jones' name on my Twitter timeline because I don't want to deal with that mess for my mental health. Um, So probably after this podcast, I'll go – to see how Mac Jones did at practice. I am truly rooting for Mac Jones to succeed in the NFL. I hope he does. But I think, you know, you got to give Newton a chance to start as well after the season he had last year. So we've had this conversation, Devin. I think we both are basically on the same terms um, when it comes to this conversation. Right now, after hearing the stuff from on Newton's side today and now that he's in COVID protocols, who do you think now starts week one? Is it Cam Newton or is it Mac Jones? And who do you think will start at the end of the season, Newton or Jones? Um, I think it's still Cam Newton. You know, I know that this news isn't good for him uh, because, you know, he is in protocol now and – Five, missing five days of practice is, is not ideal. You know, they got a game Sunday against the Giants in our final preseason game. His status for that game is kind of up in the air. Um, but if they think Cam Newton is their starting quarterback, I don't think it's going to matter much what Mac Jones does, uh, even if he balls out in that preseason game. I think unless, like, Cam Newton has showed enough, I think, already in preseason that I think you should be fine with him starting week one, you know, and for Mac Jones, like, we've seen him play, but he's not playing against the first unit yet. So maybe this is a test for him to, to play against the Giants' first unit and see how he does, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate on Noon's part because he's probably going to play probably, like, up into the second quarter uh, against the Giants since it's their final kind of tune-up preseason game. And he still might play, but... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of up in the air with, with how things are going to go uh, in terms of over this course of the week. But I think unless the Patriots are bad this year, I think we won't see Mac Jones only in relief or if the game is pretty much already decided, maybe you'll get a drive or two at the end of games. But I don't see them making a drastic change unless the season is in dire need of change. So that's kind of I'm still in the same boat I was the other day. It kind of complicates things with, with the Newton situation, but ultimately I think uh, Newton's going to start and end the year uh, as long as the Patriots are successful. But if not, you know, things fall off the, the rails, Newton will be gone by next year and Mac Jones' era will begin. Yeah. Um, and I just want to point this out as a candidate stand. Um, like, if Jones ends up winning this- Ends up getting the starting job week one. I'm perfectly okay with that. Like, I, this is not like me in denial, um, starting to become in denial. Um, I'm just, you know, trying to be more objective, objective with Newton about his game, about what his current situation is. And also, you know, I know he had a bad season last year. His job is not guaranteed right now. Um, especially now that he's in COVID protocols. But I do believe that if Newton does start this year, has a good year, is, and ends up 
leading New England to the playoffs and maybe even taking them to a deep playoff run. I think I don't think Newton comes back still because they drafted Mac Jones in the first round. You're going to have to play him at some point. You're going to have to start him at some point. You can't wait two years to start Newton to start Jones. He can't wait three years to start Jones because by then teams will be trying to clamor for trying to get in touch with New England and say, hey, what's the what's the price for Mac Jones, you know, in a potential trade. So I think next year next year, probably no matter what, you're gonna see Cam Newton with a new team. Um, I don't know if that's going to be Washington. I don't know if it's going to be with Denver. I don't know where it's going to be, but he'll probably end up being on a new team regardless of what happens this year. He may end up retiring after this year if he ends up playing very, very bad um, and ends up being a backup long term. I don't know if he'll be really accepting of that, but we'll just have to wait and see on that end. So, again, this is going to be something to really keep an eye on for the next couple of weeks, also especially the next five or six days, and also this Sunday, this upcoming Sunday against uh, what was it? The Giants. They're playing the Giants um, this weekend. Sunday, uh, yeah, Sunday. Uh, so that, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens there. All right, enough of the quarterback talk. We're going to talk about some draft prospects. Um, something we weren't really able to do last week. Um, so recently, you know, I started to really start ramping up on draft prospects, trying to get as many in as I could. Um, but there's one draft prospect I was able to watch today after I got finished up with some homework this morning, um, and also finished up homework in class and all that this morning. Um, I was able to finally watch Texas A&M defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal. Um, the first thing that stood out to me when it came to Leo's tape was the use, the the amount of usage they, that Texas A&M had for him on the line scrimmage. He lined up everywhere, um, everywhere on the line scrimmage. He rushed off the edge as a stand-up rusher. Um, he played from a zero tech to a wide nine. Um, Texas A&M re- used him so much in so many different areas along that um along the line of scrimmage because because of how much of a threat he is against the run and against the pass. And he forces offenses to really consistently make adjustments almost every play or every other play. Um, he's 6'3", 290, so he's a little bit on the leaner side of as a defensive lineman, but I'm not 100% sure where to designate him in terms of, like, which area he's – like, I know he's a defensive lineman. That's where I have him, like, as a position. But in terms of where he's playing, like a three-tech, five-tech, I'm not sure where to really mark him because he has played in a lot of those areas. He's played in those areas pretty well. Um, so Texas A&M uses him everywhere um, for a lot of good reasons. Leo's super strong – um, super powerful at the point of attack. Um, he sacks his sheds really well um, against the run, um, and he's pretty well disciplined, one gapping and two gapping. Does a good job with um, swiping the hands of opposing linemen, and he, he's able to use his length to stay detached from the opposing the opposing linemen. Um, really 
scan the backfield. Um, if he sees a running back going to his right, he's going to uh, stack and shed to his right. If he sees someone going to his left, he's going to do the same thing. Um, and he he attacks the ball uh, behind the line of scrimmage really well. Um, I mean, like, he was in the backfield a lot from what I saw on tape. Um, South Carol- The South Carolina game was probably the best tape I saw of him, and especially the Alabama game, and I'll get to that here in just a moment. Um, as a pass rusher, Leal is quite explosive off the line of scrimmage um, for someone his size, but he's not – he doesn't have elite explosiveness, but it's still very, very um, – still very, very good explosiveness. Um, he's got some work to do when it comes to applying more counters and secondary counters – um, in his pass rush plan, though, I think right now he's sort of limited to just power rush moves, um, because of how powerful he is. And he's not like super nimble. He's not super flexible. Um, but he, he's, he still gets the job done. Um, he doesn't have an insane up, he doesn't have insane upside as a pass rusher. Um, but, that's not really going to be his game. His game is going to be to disrupt um, the pocket, make great plays against the run behind the line of scrimmage, at the line of scrimmage, um, really just cause and wreck havoc um, along that along that offensive line and in the backfield. Um, Leo is incredibly strong. He's powerful and plays a great effort on every play. Um, against Evan Neal, this is the Alabama part, against Evan Neal, one of the best offensive tackles coming into the season and one of the best offensive tackles for the 2022 draft as of right now. Leo gave him problems. He gave him some problems. There was one play, I think, early in the game against tech, against Alabama where Leo was able to stack and shed Neal, and he, he popped Neal so hard that Neal kind of stumbled. And once once Leo was able to shed off that block um, from Neil, he he kind of just threw Neil to the ground like he was nothing. Like he just kind of tossed him to the ground. I'm like, holy shit, what? Really? We're doing this? Nice. So I was I got up my seat when I saw that. I was like, ooh, that's fun. So. I'm going to a couple more games of uh, DeMar and Leo. Um, probably just like one or two more games. I've already watched the three minimum games that um, I needed to watch for Leo, but I wanted to watch a couple more just to get a better picture of Leo. Um, so, uh, but overall, um, my summary evaluation is done for him. Um and I gave him a preliminary film grade of an 88, which is the first round first round value grade for our for our grading scale at Blue Chip Scouting in the Blue Chip Scouting department. Um, I really like his tape, um, and it sounds like he may end up being like the only legitimate first round guy among all the defensive tackles or defensive linemen um, for this upcoming season for the NFL draft in 2022. Yeah, he's a he's a really talented player. Uh, like you said, you can kind of move him around. He's not like a, a true edge defender in terms of he's going to be like an outside linebacker or anything like that. I think his best fit is definitely in a four three scheme. 
where you can kind of move them around. Uh, you can play that three tech, uh, five tech, you know, play uh, a seven tech wide nine possibly on some downs. Um, and you want to have him with kind of a creative defensive coordinator that, that pretty much puts him where he thinks the matchup is best, use him in stunts, uh, kind of use him all over the field. Um, and, you know, like you said, he, you know, shows the ability to, to stack and shed, um, you know, make plays at, at all spots of the field. Uh, really, really good player. Um, not, you know, a, a crazy athlete, but I think athletic enough to still, you know, get out and make plays. Um, believe he had a fumble. Was it a fumble or a pick six that he had? It was, um, against Alabama. It was, um, yeah. it was a tip ball. From Jones's ball was tipped and he picked it off. Yeah, so so you know he shows some athleticism there as well. So you know he's going to be a really good player, first round player for sure. Um, you know one of the many uh, really really good and talented players on Texas A&M's roster. Very excited to see how he plays this year. He kind of he caught my eye in the Alabama game actually. That's where I started to kind of get that name recognition and see him making plays. Um, so it's, it's good to see that, you know, people kind of got on that hype train and, you know, he's getting some first round chatter as he should, um, especially with a relatively weak defensive line class in general. Um, you know, the edge class is solid, but the defensive line, interior defensive line at least is, is pretty, uh, pretty sparse at the top, you know, kind of talent. So he can kind of be that versatile weapon that a team takes probably in the mid teens, early twenties and, and, uh, you know, let them prosper. Yeah, um, Leo is just, you know, he he is he has really confirmed to me about this draft class that this is going to be one of the more heavier defensive draft classes we have seen in a couple of years or so. Um, this is let me look at my current board right now. So let's see, I have fourteen first round grades at the moment. And let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. I have six, no, seven players, uh, seven defensive players um, out of the first. So half of my grades right now are all defensive players. I'm I'm expecting more um, defensive players to be graded in the first round for me. Uh, once I start really getting through a lot of the defensive prospects for um, this upcoming draft class. Um, and at the top, it's basically, it's right now, Thibodeau, Hamilton, Booth, Stingley, Joseph, um, a little bit of a gap um, with some offensive players, and then uh, DeMarvin Leal and Drake Jackson. Those are currently my first-round guys. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball. A um, couple other guys I have on the defensive side of the ball that I've uh, watched and graded, Jordan Davis, Payne Wilson, both have second-round value grades. Uh, Brandon Smith, the linebacker out of Penn State, um, Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network, um, touted him as um, a potential, as, as a guy that could have a Isaiah Simmons-like impact um for the Penn State Nittany Lions this year. So I'm really looking forward to Brandon Smith this year. Um, I think that's a guy that um, I really liked um, when I watched the tape. I gave him a third-round grade. Let me pull up his notes real quick. This is another prospect I've 
haven't really been able to talk about um, as much um, as of late. Um, Brandon Smith, um, hit, he 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 was impressive. I I'd like to say he he showed some good effort um, on tape. Um, he did a nice job getting to the football, rallying to the football. Um, and his athleticism really does stand out um, when you watch his tape. Um, he, he played in quite a few areas. He was um, in the slot, sort of in that overhang role, um, played Will, Sam, um, and, you know, like Isaiah Simmons, his natural athleticism really helped him out in playing of those areas. Um, not to say Brandon Smith is Isaiah Simmons 2.0, but I was just mentioning that Krabs kind of like saying the play style and the potential that Smith has, um, Smith could be the Isaiah Simmons of this draft class potentially. Um, so that's, so Smith will be a player I'll be keeping an eye on throughout the season. But anyways, um, there were, the problems I had with Smith were that um, he tended to guess a lot, um, hurting him in some instances. Um, he is very inconsistent as a tackler, and that's something he really needs to improve on this season. Um, he'd rather go for the big hit than really just try to make a natural play against the run uh, with good, proper technique, and he tends to avoid contact too much. Um, which is someone which for a player that you expect him to be a very impactful player on your defense, you know, avoiding contact and and having those natural gifts and having that explosiveness and physical and physicality as a player, that's concerning. And I really hope he can improve on that and maybe try and be more um, aggressive against the run. Like, be more in there against the run. Be more aggressive. Um, he, he, and like I said, he's explosive. He flashes the ability to play sideline to sideline because of that natural athleticism. Um, he's got the speed and the quickness to really to beat opposing linemen to um, their landmarks, their spots um, in the second level. Um, and because of his pursuit angles and his speed, he's usually in the right place. It's just the tackling and not in the sense of him avoiding contact. That's really what's hurting him as a player right now. But overall, I like Smith. Got a third round preliminary grade for me. Um, so that that was one player I was really excited about. Um, coming into this season, I think he can definitely improve. Um, and like Kyle Krabs was saying um, about Simmons, you know, I do think Smith can be, or not Simmons, uh, I do believe that Smith can be a good player um, that could really improve his stock this season. But as of right now, he's currently, you know, closer to a day three grade than than I would hope, you know. I would hope he would have something closer to, like, early day two grade, but he's more closer to day three than I realized. So, Yeah, um, you know, I haven't done a full study on him, but, you know, just kind of 
watching all the Penn State games last year. You know, he made a lot of athletic plays. Um, he's kind of all over the field. Uh, and, you know, kind of with linebackers now, uh, you know, a lot of them not aren't, aren't really great at stacking and shedding. You know, they're using their athleticism to kind of get around those uh, guards and tackles that are getting up to the second level um, and, and using their athleticism athleticism and space to, to win uh, instead of, you know, taking on blocks. And sometimes that kind of leaves creases for backs to cut through. So it, it's something that, you know, I think it's kind of just become the culture now uh, in terms of how linebackers, uh, you know, attack downhill and whatnot. So it's definitely something he's going to have to work on for sure. Um, like I said, I, I haven't done a full preliminary watch, so I'm not going to you know, get too deep into it, but he's definitely an intriguing player who should test off the charts. I mean, Penn State has dude every year that's built in the lab, you know, and, and every single year there's always someone that, you know, is just supremely athletically gifted. I don't know what, I don't know what their recruiting is in terms of how they find these guys, uh, but they're, they're pretty good at finding diamonds in a rough, you know, so yeah. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued to see. I'm already ready to see his testing because it's going to be off the charts. Um, and I have no doubt about it because he's, he's just one of those players, you know, that's just built athletically different. So, uh, he's going to be an intriguing player and he's going to, I don't think he's, he's going to make it to day three just based off his traits and his athleticism alone. Uh, but we'll see what happens over the course of the season, see if he can improve with some of the areas uh, that he struggles with. Is there a prospect you want to talk about before we head out, Evan? Yeah, I'll talk about just one guy. Um, so uh, I've been kind of watching and, and kind of gathering information uh, on a, a particular Mac left tackle. I tweeted about him earlier last week, but Bernard Raymond uh, from Central Michigan, uh, 6'7", 304 pounds. Uh, he's a former tight end that moved to left tackle. Um Last year, last year's first year playing left tackle. Um, he ended up on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, uh, at number 26, uh, cause he, he had like a, a one six shuttle, a 20 yard shuttle, uh, did like a nine, seven and a half, uh, in the broad jump, 33 inch vertical. So Ooh. he has all types of, uh, you know, athleticism. Like I said, he's a former tight end. Um, he's actually an exchange student from Austria. Uh, he played on, um, like, the nice. under-14 uh, Austria football team. So he has a pretty cool backstory. Um, you know, like I said, he got recruited and, and played tight end his first couple of seasons, moved to left tackle. There's some there's some tools and traits that he has. You know, he's, he's a very raw player that is still getting his feet wet with kind of the fundamentals of playing left tackle, uh, you know, getting to his passes quickly, quickly. Uh, his footwork and the run and pass game needs to improve, uh, you know, getting – uh, his hands, uh, better placement of his hands on the initial punch of running pass blocking. Uh, but his athleticism kind of overrides that because he's able to move in space. He's able to get back quickly uh, in his pass. Sets. He's able to <clears throat> kind of override counters. You know, he, he doesn't allow players to turn the corner. Now, it is the max, so I take it kind of with a grain of salt. You know, they don't have, you know, supremely athletic pass rushers, but you know, the, the kind of the smaller, shiftier guys that he went up against, he was able to hold his own. Now, I would like to see him play with a little bit more power as well. I think there's a lot of untapped power that he has uh, just naturally with his, his size and ability to, to move people off the line of scrimmage. 
Um, I think that'll help with getting all these reps to hold. Because he, he's, he moved it in the spring, and then obviously, you know, COVID and everything happened, so that kind of messed up things. He's pretty much thrown into the fire. Uh, starts all six games for Central Michigan. But this year, they had the full spring practice. You know, they're having fall camp. So I expect him to, to really – I think he's, he's a kind of a potential riser. I haven't finished his scouting report yet because uh, I need to get to a few more games. Um, but I think he's a, a guy that could rise up draft boards by getting to the senior ball. And I think if he shows the ability to, to compete one-on-one against, you know, guys from the, the SEC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and he's able to hold his own. You know, he could have a, a Quinn Miners type of rise, and he's and he's even more athletic than the Miners was. So, uh, so you you want to see him kind of bring it all together this year, and I think he will do that. And that makes me excited. And he's he's I think he's going to be one of my highest graded MAC prospects besides Kale Ellaby, um, in going into the season because pretty much everyone else at this point is going to be a late rounder or UDFA. I don't really see too many other guys that have early round potential uh, or early day three potential, but he, he's definitely up there. I think he's probably going to get a fourth round grade will be my guess. Um, he's going to be around there. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's going to show people and he's going to kind of come out of nowhere. You know, it's not a whole bunch of hype around him right now. So uh, definitely excited to see him kind of rise. You know, Jim Nagy tweeted about him earlier this summer. Uh, and really since that point, I've been intrigued by him and, and what he's able to do. So uh, definitely a guy to watch out for and, and someone that I really like already in this draft class. You know, um, I, I'm sure you're enjoying the MAC, ten, the, the MAC conference um, right now because I know Dante Colinelli is not enjoying the quarterbacks from the Big Ten. Man, I feel bad for Boss Man. You know, he, he, there's plenty of talent in the Big Ten, and yet there's not a single good quarterback that's, um, in, that's eligible. You know, that you, all the good quarterbacks are at Ohio State and they're not even eligible. You know, so it, I feel bad for Dante, and also I feel bad for you for not having a lot of, like, truly good elite talent in uh, in the MAC. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, every so often we'll get some really good talent from that conference. Um, I'm really excited to see Caleb um, Ellaby um, see his rise as a player, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing to completing his film evaluation because I, he may end up being one of the um, last players I look at for summer scouting. Um, but uh, so far, from everything I've seen about LB, he he's um, he he is a favorite for a lot of guys, um, especially um, our good friend Corey Keenan. Um, who, hey Corey, you know where are you at, man? We'd love to have you on. We'd love to have you on. If you want to come on, we got you. We got you, bro. We'd love to have you on, man. Um, shout out to Corey for um, standing uh, Caleb LB. Really, actually, I, th- I feel like he was one of the first guys to really put him on the map. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, he was. Uh, and also, I know, I think Ryan Roberts also kind of put him on the map as well. Um, two guys that really like LB think he can 
really rise up and become one of the surprise quarterbacks of this upcoming draft class. So I'm really excited to see some of these guys, especially in the quarterback class, especially in the MAC, um, really rise up and come out of nowhere as um, well-known prospects for the 2022 NFL Draft. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace.